that they would just like tape over like important stuff. Like, like I like taped over like my mom's VHS of like my brother being born. I taped yeah. over like an episode of Ryan Home tapes over the Young and the Restless with like a fucking dirt derby. No, yeah. bro, I taped over a. Fu- I recorded an episode of Home Improvement over my brother's birthday. <laughs> More power. Yeah, your, your brother's like just about to pop, and it just goes right to Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> no, actually, it cuts out more. Let's say it all makes Tim. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> no, not I don't think so, Tim. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Welcome to episode 100, dude. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I will, maybe I won't, brother. Uh, <laughs> you know who didn't need steroids? Bo fucking Jackson. That dude was just uh, pound for pound. Uh, no, dude. I hate to like show no, I don't your hear. happiness, but <laughs> there's probably no world where Bo wasn't doing some regimen. Bo was so much better than everybody around him that, like, you want. I'm a Bo Jackson guy too. I love Bo Jackson. He denied like, it. Just for the record, he did deny it. He denied but I, it. But I like Tony Gwynn more. By the, by the end <laughs> of this... Tony Gwynn did it for, like, decades, and Bo Jackson got injured real quick because you make those... those uh, what, he, blew, he blew his quad, right? Like, it was, it was like his yeah. slip or something, right? Oh, my God, dude. Hey, I, I refused. Did you, have you ever seen that throw from fucking center field? He threw like a hundred and nine mile an hour fastball yeah, like from center base. field to first to first base <laughs> and got a guy out who was running back from halfway to second. Like I, what the fuck? I recently like kind of fell down like a TikTok rabbit hole of like sports clips over the decades. Ryan, he tackled them, the manhood out of the boz, bro. Listen, one of them was him going and like catching a ball in the outfield, but his 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 momentum was such that when he hit the outfield wall. Instead of like running through it, he kind of did like this like wall run kick flip off the yeah. wall. I was yeah, like, it's what nuts. the fuck is this shit? He was an absolute legend, and I still don't believe it. I believe that he was on some shit. There's no way. He was taking something. He was so much better than everyone else. Well, like, well I feel like you when you get I mean? to the collegiate level, everybody's on something. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a level. I mean, like, look, you still have to get out there and be like an incredible. Yeah, yeah, it, it only enhances it's what's like, there. It's like bodybuilding, right? Like you, it's. I used to be like, I used to call bodybuilders mutants because the muscles not real, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it is. I mean, these guys still work their fucking ass off. They kill themselves like day in and day out to get that muscle. So you still got to put the work in and shit like that. You still got to have the genetics. Yeah, you know over here like that. You know who's that. clean as a whistle is goddamn Tim Tebow. The only thing that man ingested <laughs> during his time at the University of Florida was the great water from Ginny Springs, courtesy of the Nestle Corporation. I don't buy it. it anybody, I would say it shows. Anybody, that, anybody that's that religious is. I, I find them utterly disingenuous. There's no way. There was I, only one man who was that nice, and I buy it, and that's fucking Fred Rogers, and that's it. I thought it was Jimmy Carter. Well, Jimmy Carter is like an <laughs> avatar of Christ, you know, like, that guy, that's a real good brother, dude. I've heard stories of Tim Tebow when he was here living in Gainesville. Um, I've heard stories of not like, you know, somebody heard from somebody, but like from people who directly interacted with him uh, during his time here. Yeah. Uh, 
it's it's interesting the things that people say. Obviously, nothing is verifiable. It's all kind of like what he said, she said. But he, like, he was pretty big, but yeah. he wasn't juice big. Like he yeah. was. I mean, it's possible that he could have been doing a cycle of like test or something. But he's also young and already pretty big. So let's know. not forget though, he played under Urban Meyer and like the most or like the team with the most criminals to ever come out of it in like NCAA <laughs> football Literally history, like a penitentiary. <laughs> let's not even discount Murderers the fact row. that Before... halftime they're like getting shots of Toradol, fucking testing everything else in their asses <laughs> during the fucking game. Ozempic <laughs> trying to maintain their waistlines. <laughs> fucking goddamn prima donnas uh, uh, let's say he was anyway, on he was it. in the same class as uh, aaron hernandez yeah yep it was Speaking aaron of, hernandez uh, it was the pouncy brothers were on that team yep uh tebow uh and then there was the like pouncy a whole... brothers sound like like a gay porn duo you know the Pouncy Brothers, <laughs> or or like the uh, the Bash Brothers from the eighties, just some like oh, yeah, guys yeah, who yeah. can't act that are just huge that so they put in movies. You say oh, the Bash oh, Brothers from the eighties? Oh, I think of uh, Mighty Ducks. You're talking about Mark McGuire and and Jose uh, Canseco. No, they were like these. I forget what the they're maybe you're talking was, about the those Muscle Brothers with yeah, the long hair. Yeah, yeah, they always yeah. wore like crop tops. <laughs> yeah, they were in like a shitload of movies. <laughs> But the Bash Brothers was, uh, yeah, that was uh, Jose Canseco and McGuire. But, but I think they were also the Bash Brothers because they were they were from the eighties. No, freaking uh, what's his name? Uh, Gerald knows what the fuck their name was. Those like eighties muscle twins actors. Guys, y'all are fucking up. The Bash Brothers, the Barbarian were Brothers, the, the Bar- Bash yeah, Brothers the Barbarian were, Brothers. They yeah. were Fulton Reed and Dean Portman in the Mighty Ducks, specifically D two. Yeah, the mighty schmucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Speaking of the mighty ducks, what's this episode about? Well, it's not going to be about <laughs> Disney. Because today, gentlemen, this is our first episode, because this is episode 100, is a, uh, what I'll call a movie magic episode. Um, this will be the first of a, a two-part on, on a little bit of movie magic. We're going to be talking about uh, Jack L. Warner. Like, of the Warner Brothers fame? Yes, of the very same. Like, the person, like, one of one of the brothers, one of the two people who locked the Animaniacs in a water tower? Yes. The, the yeah, he was a cruel animal <laughs> hater, and I hate him. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yep. And don't forget about the Warner sister, Dot, you know? <laughs> also, can we please talk about that we, this is episode 100? Yeah. I honestly thought that this was going to last like 10 episodes and we just kind of be like, all right, well, you know, it's fine. It's kind of like fall off and kind of like life would get in the way. But uh, I just want to say that I'm very proud of us. We've gotten to 100 episodes over the last, what, four years? Holy yeah, we shit, definitely, four uh, years? Jesus. We're definitely like the best podcast going around. And, <laughs> I mean, I feel like our quality has definitely gone up, you know, as time went on. I went we definitely back. have a formula at this point. I went back for shits and giggles, and I listened to our chesty puller episode. Oh, God. And uh, then, like, listened to, like, one of, like, the more recent ones. I forget which one it was. I was uh, we're all going to get canceled at some it, point. It was wonderful just seeing, like, how we've evolved and gotten better over the last yeah. four years. I mean, we're still obviously, like, you know, in God's blind spot of podcasts, as Steve would say. But, like... <laughs> the Mexico of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Jesus Christ. <laughs>
Well, you know We're that not in the USA anymore, brother. Shout out that, to the two people in Mexico listen to us. Sorry. Well, there was that that one <laughs> joke about like God's blind or God's blind spot, Mexico. Yeah, I thought that I was thought, a place in Florida. Yeah, no, you God's made the joke that God's blind spot was like Polk County, Florida, when um, uh, what's what's his nuts was uh, trekking his way across Florida. The, oh. uh, Mr. Cabeza. <laughs> Mr. Cabeza. You said Polk. You said Polk County was God's blind spot. And I was like, that is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in my Charles, life because I've Charles. known multiple people from Polk County, and I'm like, that tracks. Charles Charles Ponzi. <laughs> oh, Ponzo. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. not Ponzi. It was um. Hang on. No, it was Ponzi. Dude. No, it was not Ponzi. It was uh, uh Nunes. Elvar Nunez oh, oh, yeah. de Vaca. Oh, Cabeza <laughs> de Vaca. Oh yeah, yeah Cabeza. Yeah. 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 Okay. We, we've had a couple. We've had a couple people go through uh, Florida's uh, worst counties recently. Honestly, the entirety of Florida is God's, God's fucking blind. Yeah, well, we Samuel, have- <laughs> Samuel Johnson said it best, which is you know, uh, Florida is the last refuge of the damned. Because you know? <laughs> we have we have seventy four counties, something like that. I, I uh-huh. forget. We we had to learn this elementary school. Uh-huh. But uh, only like six of them are worth a damn because they're like my, Miami, <laughs> Orlando. Yeah, the rest of them are all like little tiny. Gainesville, like, Tampa, Tallahassee, right. Jacksonville. Like everything else outside of there, it's just like don't don't even bother. Just in case anybody's wondering, Florida has 67 counties 67. and like four of them matter. It's like Miami-Dade, Alachua, uh, whatever bullshit fucking Tallahassee County is in, and then like Orange. Tallahassee's in Leon County. Leon County. Leon. Oh, let me not piss off Tampa. Okay, all right. So fucking you know whatever Pasco or Hillsborough, whatever the fuck those lame ass. Yeah, it's in. it's kind of <laughs> kind of between them. Tampa, I think covers if I'm not mistaken, like three different counties, doesn't it? Tampa does, doesn't Tampa ha- cover like Hillsborough, Pinellas, and Pasco. Yes. It's it's kind of weird because the the city expanded so much and incorporated other stuff. Interesting. Okay. But back to the Animaniacs captors and ho- kidnappers yes. and hostage takers. The the gower of the uh of the Animaniacs, Jack Warner. <laughs> um, they lock us in the tower whenever we get caught. He was born uh Jacob Warner. But we break um, loose and then Vamoose and now you know the plot. Which was now his I name given at birth before we'll, the show. <laughs> don't worry, we'll we'll spin the wheel of morality when we're done with all this. All right, Will of Morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we should learn. I love it. But uh, Jacob Warner was born in London, Ontario, Canada on August 2nd, 1892. His parents were both uh, Polish Jewish immigrants um, from what was then the Congress of Poland, um, which was a uh, the Polish section that was ruled by the Russian Empire during that period. And they, they primarily spoke Yiddish. Okay. Um, he was the uh, fifth surviving son of uh, Benjamin uh, Warner. Originally, uh, his last name was either uh, Juan Sale or uh, Juan Schlosser, um, who was a cobbler um, from Krasnoslyak, um, Poland, and his wife, um, uh, one uh, Pearl Lea, um, formerly Echelbaum. Um, they they were married on uh, in 1876. Um, and the couple had three children in Poland, one of whom died at a young age. One of the surviving children was Jack's eldest brother, Hirsch, who would later go by Harry. Hoish, hoishel. Like Gavolt. Why did you become a clown, my son? 
You could have been a doctor. Um, the Warner family, though, um, lived throughout the um, sort of the low points of living in Russian-controlled Poland at this time, um, where um, they were under constant attack from the uh, the Cossacks, um, who would uh, be sent in to do uh, pogroms where they would burn houses um, and and rape women um, as part of like a thing that would happen um, periodically to people who lived. Uh, within the uh, Jewish areas of settlement, which were referred to as shuttles. Um, okay, and I don't... Go ahead. Well, like, have you seen Fiddler on the Roof? Like, that's a shuttle. Okay. I don't want to... I just watched the whole movie. Like, I don't want to yada, yada, yada this, right? But I feel like any time we talk about Jewish people, it should be just kind of inferred that you're, especially in like the eighteen, like the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and up to today, it should just be inferred that you had a rough time and your family had a rough time and we're just getting fucked up well, left and right well, because well, of these pogroms that constantly happened back then. Well, legally within uh, Russia, within the Russian Empire at this point, um, Jewish people can only live in. Um, that that section of Poland, pretty much. Yeah, do you um, see that, what I'm saying? Like, geez, yeah, that but, but that that it was almost like um, because the the czars were so anti-Semitic that they um, that that they wanted to keep like the Jews in a single place where they could like keep an eye on them. So it was almost like a a, a reservation system. It's almost like a ghetto. It's almost like Warsaw ghettos before Warsaw had their own ghettos. Well, yes, because the the ghetto was originally a. Um, was the place where they forced the Jews to live mm-hmm. in uh, in Venice, which is where mm-hmm. the term comes from. But but a shuttle is more like a is almost like a reservation town without okay. without any of the legal uh, the legal protections or or whatever um, stratification that comes with like a, a reservation system in the United States. But but somewhat of a similar model where they 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 sort of have to live in this area. I, I don't believe they were generally restricted to like a, a specific shuttle. I think they could move about. Um, and they could okay. definitely leave. Um, they, they could leave uh, the Russian Empire, um, but but that was sort of like the area where Jews were allowed to settle. Um, so in 1888, looking for a better life for him and his family, uh, Benjamin made his way to Hamburg, Germany, and then took a ship to the United States. Benjamin being our titular character, Jack Warner's dad, right? Yes, his father. Okay. Um, so uh, Benjamin, uh, upon arrival um, in in New York City. Um, he changes his name uh, to Warner. Um, this was not something that was done by um, by like the people at immigration, which which apparently is mostly a um, it, it's mostly just like a like a family legend. It's not something that really happened. Uh, generally, uh, foreigners would would change their names when they arrived, um, you know, to to escape you know the the rampant racism that exists in the United States. Right. Um, um, but he but he introduced himself as Benjamin Warner. Um, and he would keep the Warner surname for the rest of his life. Okay. Um, so Pearl and their two remaining children joined him in Baltimore, Maryland, less than a year after his arrival in 1888. So in 1889, they're in Baltimore. Um, the couple would have five more children, um, including Abraham, who would later be known as Albert, um, and Sam Warner. So they got seven kids. Benny Shaps, I'm sorry, Benny Warner and uh, Pearl Warner and their seven kids in Old Baltimore. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so this is what late 1800s, right? We're not in the early we're not in the 1900s. Yet. Yeah, we're we're sort of at the end of the 19th century. Okay, um God. so uh Benjamin decides he's going to move to Canada in the early 1890s uh because a friend advised him that he could make a good living uh bartering uh tinwares 
uh, with fur trappers for furs. What, yeah, I mean, what, what are tin bears? Like, <laughs> I've done like, that, like things yeah. made out of tin. The you little trinkets. Find, <laughs> yeah. You just want tin cans and you get furs and then you sell the furs to other people. Is it the eighteen hundreds version of picking up uh Coke cans and like little light cans off the side yeah. of the road and turning them in for a nickel? You know, you Drive just go down to the recycling center, you give them the tin cans, they give you some of those IKEA rugs. You know, the ones that you could make into a to a ward of the night watch cloak. Um, the and then you, you assemble yourself. Because <laughs> it come from IKEA. <laughs> That's right. Um, his uh, sons, Jack and David, uh, would be uh, born in Ontario. So our titular Jack Warner is born in Ontario after they make the move. Um, so after two years in Canada, uh, they decide that they're going to return to Baltimore uh, uh, with their family. Oh, boy. Um, they, they eventually have uh, two more children, uh, Sadie and Milton. Um, and then in 1896, they relocate to Youngstown, Ohio, uh, following the lead of Harry Warner, who established I mean, a shoe repair shop um, in the city. How do you nine, relocate nine kids. 12 fucking kids? Like, do, you just, <laughs> do you need like the whole bus? Like, well, you get them get to pull the cart. I guess you do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, too, uh, you try to get your own team uh, franchise into the MLB. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just need jerseys. You like the you like the Jacksons, but with basketball. Yeah. <laughs> just teaching them the fundamentals, you know, making them dribble. Um. So, uh, Benjamin would work with uh, Harry in the shoe repair shop. Um, until he was able to secure a loan to open a meat counter and grocery store um, in Youngstown. <clears throat> God, Ohio. Not Look, at a husband and wife well, with nine kids in Ohio. How does that dude... Uh, God, how does he do it? Well, well Youngstown, too, was uh, also like... If, if I remember correctly, it was also like a... It was like a hotbed of like the mafia. Because, it was, because it was sort of like in between the big cities. And, and so it sort of became like the, like the neutral like city between like the Chicago and New York mobs. Oh my God. I can already hear like the old timey announcers talking about ah, mob activity in Chicago, mob activity in New York, mob activity in Philly and Boston, mob activity in Youngstown, Ohio, mob activity in Miami. (laughs) Because uh, Jack would later on claim in his autobiography that he would write or or he would have written uh, Jagger Hoover told me that Youngstown in those days was one of the toughest cities in America and a gathering place for Sicilian thugs active in the mafia. There was a murder or two almost every Saturday night in our neighborhood, and knives and brass knuckles were standard equipment for the young hotheads on the prowl. Look, this is an open call out to anybody from Youngstown. You come to Florida in the next five minutes if you want your ass kicked. I'm waiting, okay? (laughs) You want me to cut that out? (laughs) No, no, no. You leave it in there. Look at it. This is a five-minute offer. After five minutes, the the offer's closed. It's over. It's done. So you want the fastest person in Youngstown, Ohio, <laughs> to get here and kick your ass? I'm telling you right now, my ring doorbell rings in the next five minutes. I'm not answering it. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan there. <laughs> hey, just, uh, Youngstown already was talking shit. <laughs> just, just pretending like he's not home. Just Look, there's nothing the to do in Youngstown, so I just I listen to the trilateral troika. Some, some, some body from Youngstown, Ohio, comes knocking on his door. Yeah. Uh, Warner would claim that he briefly belonged to a, a street gang, um, and um, I was in a it, gang back w- in the day. <laughs> w- 
located in uh, the neighborhood of Westlake's Crossing, which was a um, which was like a notorious neighborhood in the city's downtown. Okay. Um, so he would begin to receive his first taste of show business um, uh, when he started uh, singing at local theaters, and he formed a brief business partnership with another uh, aspiring um, song and dance man. Um, during his brief vaudeville career, he officially changed his name to Jack Leonard Warner. Um, Jack's older brother, Sam, though, uh, disapproved of his uh, pursuits um, and told him, get out front where they pay the actors, he advised Jack. That's where the money is. I can't take this dude seriously. He's the, he's a part of a street gang, but he's also singing at local fucking theaters. What is he, the Jets or the Sharks? You just he's, let me know. <laughs> he's like Frank Sinatra. Look, man. <laughs> but Jewish. I had to get it in back then, all right? Back then, everybody's like, it's before the big fight. Look, you weren't getting any games. Sitting there snapping their fingers and whistling before you go fight somebody. Now it's just like, you know, you Look, shoot somebody. Look, if you somebody. couldn't carry a tune, you weren't carrying a dame at that door, all right? Just, just see, like, Frank from It's Always Sunny to explain it to you. Back in the day. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, uses the I won't repeat the word here, but the word he uses in that episode is amazing. Just I've never even heard it before. I need you to use it, it and then cut it out because I don't. No, think the word. no. I mean, I can cut it out. No, yeah, use it and cut it out <laughs> no, because I've never heard. If you want to see it? Go see the episode of I'm not even. It's, gonna it's the it one out. with uh, Shad Dynasty. Yeah, the one with Shad Dynasty. Okay, <laughs> shady nasties. It's Shad Dynasty, asshole. <laughs> It would be in uh, Youngstown, though, that the uh, Warner Brothers would take their first steps into the entertainment industry. Um, in the early, uh, uh, like early into the, the 20th century, uh, Sam formed a business partnership with another local resident and took over the city's uh, Grand Old Opera House, uh, which he used as the venue for um, for vaudeville uh, performances and photo plays, which are sort of like early silent movies. Um, after one summer, the venture failed. <laughs> One um, summer, it's all it took. <laughs> uh, Sam Sam would then secure a job as a projectionist at Idora Park, a local amusement park, um, and he would convince his family of the new medium's possibilities. And he would negotiate the purchase of a Model B uh, kinetoscope uh, from a projectionist who was uh, "quote unquote" down on his luck. Okay, what year is this? Um, this is like in the early like 1900, so around like 1904, 1905. 70 to 80% of the country was down on their luck. <laughs> Could literally mean anybody, you know. Um, so the I'm down on my luck, but I happen to have this niche film recording equipment. Do you need it? The the I'll cut you a deal. To, to give you an idea of uh of like how far back this was, the cost of the uh of the of the projector was $1000. Um, and Jack would contribute 150 to the venture after pawning a horse, um, according to his <laughs> obituary. What? But, okay, but to be fair, back then, that was like actually selling a Mustang here now in 2023. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's still crazy, though. Um, so they would uh, they would screen, um, they, they would travel throughout Ohio and they would screen a, um, a used copy of The Great Train Robbery. Um, and also in in Pennsylvania, they would screen it uh, before uh, that was renting. That's a big deal, right? That that movie. Well, yeah, it was the it was the first one which uh, Edison um, had created because Edison's sort of the father of motion pictures, um, yeah. which which will which we'll talk about like why 
uh, Edison, things, like Thomas. Yes, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, like yeah. that thieving fuck, Thomas yeah. Edison. <laughs> okay, he wasn't a thief. That's so overblown. He's a fucking thief. That elephant murderer. Well, um, that that's probably accurate. So was the um, Jimmy John's guy, though. So that's not even look, it's anymore. The mature, <laughs> it's the mature impulse to destroy an elephant when you see it. You know, Donald Trump Jr. It's what alphas do. It's not impressive. It's right? what alphas like, do. Alphas kill elephants. Listen, Ryan. You, you want to be the top G? Nothing manlier, nothing more alpha than going to a fenced-in park where old elephants are about to die and shooting them with a huge gun. Well, you know, when like you put it that way, that is the manliest thing I've ever heard. It's, of in my it's life. like the Isn't people, it, right? it's like That's the people who go hunting. It's it's like that King of the Hill episode where he goes he goes hunting with Buck Strickland, and the yeah. uh, they they just have the feeders and the deer just come out to eat and you shoot them. Like that that's real. <laughs> that, that's what that's what most of the people in like Washington when they talk about like going hunting. Like like that's yeah. what most people in DC are doing. <laughs> They're just blasting. I, I understand that. You know, it, it keeps the population under control and allows them to have preserves and all that kind of stuff. I like, I get all that. I get that there's actually a utility to it and that it's controlled in most locations and that they're doing a good, you know, they're actually doing oh, to work. But at the same time, I will never feel okay with that shit. Yeah, I'm glad you I brought that up because okay one of the it. arguments that you hear is that people will say, well, but, they but use those, those ones are like are a zoo. Outside of, yeah, they use it out, animals that are outside they, of breeding range or they use animals that are like they usually take old, animals or whatever, or old animals. Yeah, My response to that is that, oh, so you're hunting a geriatric animal from the bed of a fucking Isuzu rodeo and you think it makes you fucking hey. manly, dog? Like, what? <laughs> Yeah, like why? We'll like, see. Why we'll see how that? many. We'll see how many uh, messages I get on you know my my dating apps when I show them my uh, my coat rack bottom that's made out of like an elephant's foot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but then listen, like when I meet these people and I'm like, no, listen, uh, if you want to go hunting for boar, I would love to go. I want to go boar hunting, but I want to do boar hunting with like bow and arrow, like stock hunting. And these dudes look at me like I have lost my fucking mind. And I'm well, like, first of all. If and you they're shoot like the, a wild boar with an arrow. You better shoot it twice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's very easy to kill them with an arrow. You just got to know where to aim and you just got to be accurate. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're going you're going to be fighting that thing. I agree with you. Though. I off. think I think bow and arrow is the only way that you should allow average people to fucking go out and there's just be well, I was told so I was like, many more animals. They told me they were like, dude, you're crazy. Like the boar will kill you, and I'm like, you are know, we turning into would, Joe Rogan here? Like a little bit. <laughs> I but no, hunt. they I were like, no, hunt. you're crazy, and I was like, it's why? Like the and they John said the Rocker boar is going to kill maybe, you. Maybe we can get uh, Yomni Park on. <clears throat> she, can, she, can, was- she can tell us some more tall tales about what life is like in North Korea. Well, they had to push the trains every morning to get them started. <laughs> they eat what the bud and they die. <laughs> what is wrong with her? Ugh. She's making that, that right wing drift train money. What the yeah. fuck? Are you kidding me? I'm saying, right? Like, I, you know, that stuff is crazy because I, I get it. Like, I feel the same way about the right wing grifters that I do about back in the day, like when we were, when I was in a punk band and like they would all talk about selling out. And I would always say the same thing, which is, if some fucking asshole comes in here and says, I'll give you each 500 grand to just go play music, but that's all the money you're getting, I'm walking out of here with 500 grand. I'm Bye. selling out immediately. Are yeah. you out of your mind? Are you it's out like, of your it's mind? It's like Patton Oswalt's story. 
Do you know how important money is in this fucking cesspool of corruption and greed? Do you know how important it is? It's like uh, Patton Oswalt's story about doing casino jobs and how at first he was just like, he was like disgusted by him. And he's just like, oh, I would never, I would never sell out. And then the second he did his like first one, which was like minimal effort and like paid for a year of his daughter to go to college. They're just like, yeah, can you come back? Yeah, he's exactly. like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I might exactly. sell out. A little bit of sellouts, okay. <laughs> um, nah, dude, you got to get your money. It's so bad, but that's just the world we live in. So the Bro- uh, brother. So the uh, so the brothers. Uh, they they decide to uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers. The Warner Brothers brother. Those guys were brothers, dude. Sorry, I don't. <laughs> okay, Siri. Siri doesn't understand. Um. So they were they're, they're taking this they're taking this copy of the Great Trade Robbery around uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania, and they eventually rent out a vacant store in Newcastle, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, where they make a makeshift theater, which they called the the Bijo. Okay. Um, the uh, the theater's uh, wait the Bijo show Bijo like oh, French B I J O U. Okay, I was gonna say. Um, so this guy's the, doing some risky stuff. Man. The, uh, the, <laughs> little Bijo show. Well, the the theater itself, the uh, the chairs they borrowed from a local undertaker. Um, <laughs> oh my and, god, it's even, it's just like that other episode of It's Always Sunny. <laughs> and uh, Jack, who was still living in Youngstown at the time, he would come on weekends um, to sing uh, to sing along with the um, the illustrated uh, song slides during uh, real changes. Um, because back in those days, uh, movies didn't really have a soundtrack, so they would usually have somebody playing a piano. And there's some tradition... I believe that's a piano I think. Uh, for anybody born after the year 2000, which is precisely zero people listening to this podcast, uh, movies used to come on these big, gigantic, circular things called reels, and the movie was actually hundreds of frames that were all spliced together that when viewed really fast was motion picture not this digital <laughs> shit you see today <laughs> and I think, wait i think imax is still there's a few that still use real yeah there's there, still there, I, yeah yeah I, imax has to i believe but most most like digital uh most most theaters are digital now and it's all sent if, in by like satellite if I'm not That's mistaken, crazy. the Alamo Draft House still has reels in maybe one of their theater, not like the whole theater, some, like one some, of the rooms of the theater. If that makes so, sense. Sometimes they'll do actual film, and a lot of times it's just at like art houses. But like if you if you go to like a Regal or AMC theater, like you're That's probably digital, never you're yeah. never gonna see anything on film there probably. Is it uh, true that they digitally add in? So, okay, you know when you watch uh, a movie in a movie theater and it's on a reel, you can see the small imperfections in the film itself on the screen. Like you'll see like a small like a like a dot or something like that on the screen. Is it true that they digitally add those in for screening in movies just to make it look like it's an eight millimeter reel? Uh, I don't think so. No, I've never heard of that. Before. Yeah, unless unless they're doing like some effect. Like usually that that's just like the like the quality of the film like even if gotcha. it's digital it's not going to be like perfect because you're you're projecting it on a screen it's not right you're not watching it on like a 4k like, right. like screen or 8k okay All right. um, so eventually in 1906 they purchase a small theater in newcastle which they call the cascade movie palace um they would uh maintain the theater until moving into film distribution in 1907 um, that year, they would establish uh, a Pittsburgh-based um, Duquesne Amusement Company, 
um, which was a distribution firm that was very lucrative uh, for them until Thomas Edison's Motion Pictures Patent Company came into existence, which also was known as the Edison Trust, uh, which would eventually charge uh, distributors um, exorbitant fees uh, to distribute films. So the Duquesne Amusement Company, did they just like rent out the film to the movie theaters like on the reels and expect it? Yeah, they would they would buy from Edison or, or whoever, and then they would, they would distribute it to them. And then eventually like, like the blockbuster for dealers. Yeah. Cause like, <laughs> cause like movie, movie theaters back when they had film, like they didn't actually like buy the movie. It was like a sort of like a rental type deal. Right. Right. Um, and, and they're sort of like the middlemen. They were the people you buy it from. Okay. Or and, rent it from. Or yeah, you would rent it from. Okay. And, in 1909, so uh, this guy got started as a movie theater owner. Well, well, yeah, the brothers got into the the movie theater business, which was like the new thing at the time. Okay, okay, and and you have to remember too because um, movie theaters that like remember they're also in vaudeville. Like this is considered like low low quality, like low caliber, like business. Like like mm. this is this is like this is the equivalent of like owning like a bodega or like a laundromat. It's like sort of like a business that like a lot of like like people who are from um, sort of like sort of like outsider groups would buy into as a, as a means to like generating capital. Um, really? So so you need to remember that too because like when they talk about like like how how Jewish people are like very prominent in like show business, it, it's because like show business when it started out, it was like you know like burlesque or, or like vaudeville. It was considered like like a very like low and like dishonorable profession. Oh yeah, well you you didn't hit the golden age of cinema until what was that the forties? Well, yeah, but 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 that's the reason why is that because they were on the ground floor, and then eventually gotcha. when you get to when Hollywood being big and famous, people act like you know it was always like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, when it when it very much isn't like it is today. It was so it was it was like the equivalent of being a carny. Did movies get big because people were horny? Like that is that what did it? Uh, I think it helped. Um, but but I think it's just the fact that the movies kept getting better and it was a form of entertainment. Well, I mean, so did so does porn, right? I mean, porn gets better as movies become available. <laughs> well, yeah. it's also the reason that our cell phones got bigger and bigger screens over it's the years. Because yeah, but there's at some point the we only can reason watch porn we even have the internet right now <laughs> but, is because of porn, essentially. But back in this period, until like the the seventies, pretty much, it, it's very hard to like make a lot of money off of like to. To have pornography be lucrative for a number of reasons, right, one of which right. is like government like censorship laws and through like the postal service, as as we talked about when we talked about like obscenity laws and like the comics code and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, um, you can't, is, can't, sh- can't ship boobs. Nope. Um. So uh, later on in that year, in 1909, the Warners uh, sold their business to the General Film Company uh, for ten thousand dollars in cash, twelve thousand dollars in preferred stock. And payments over a four-year period for a total of fifty-two thousand uh, dollars, which all was the equivalent of one point six million dollars today. That's it. I mean, even in today's money, that's it. Well, well for a theater, okay, I guess, yeah, okay. I guess. It's a theater, or I should right. just say it's a, um, or I should say their their distribution business. They right. they sold it for. Um, I guess I'm thinking of like the whole like WB because like, remember they're like, they're a local they're like a local distributor too so right. so it's not like they're like what they become right um, so they they pull their resources and they move into film production in 1910 um, in 1912 
uh, they lent their uh, support to a filmmaker named Carl uh, Lamel, um, uh, who was with the Independent Motion Picture Company, uh, which began uh, challenging the uh, monopolistic control of the Edison Trust on the film industry. Hmm. Um, that year as well, Jack would acquire a job as a film splicer in New York, where he would assist Sam with the production of the film Dante's Inferno. Wait, um, Pierce Brosnan is old as shit, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's a remake. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> what? Did this, did, you know the movie Dante's Inferno? Have you never seen the movie Dante's Inferno? I've read the book. The the, vol- the volcano movie? Not Dante Alighieri. Like, not the Divine Comedy, you, you fucking prick. The no. fucking movie with Pierce Brosnan about the volcano. No. Should I put it on my list? No, no. you should not. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. well, it doesn't have to both, be a good both movie. Both the volcano on my movies list, are bro. awful. They're, they're it does not bad. have to be. It's like, I am one of these guys that's like, it's hit or miss whether I've seen a movie. Steve will tell you. Okay. So I've been doing my best this year to like watch more movies, and my wife loves it. So we're like watching, like, we usually try to watch three movies on Saturday. Okay. And, uh,. Definitely got cocaine bear in there. Uh, oh Jesus! So yeah, Dante's two. Inferno is, is is a miss. You know, if you want a Pierce Brosnan movie that you'll enjoy, watch like Goldfinger or like the Tom. I think Goldeneye. I think just or yeah, Goldeneye. Finish up my uh, my movie review so far that I've watched this year. The best movie I've seen this year, and it's not for everyone, is Banshees of uh, Inner Sheen. Oh yeah, it's fucking depressing, but it's Oof. a good good Irish movie. I haven't I seen it yet, seen but I've heard that. So far as uh, all quiet on the Western Front. Inner Sheeran, I think it is. Inner Sheeran? Yeah. Yeah, West, anything, cause, uh, anything about the Western Front, I'm all about it. That was a good, it's on Netflix. <laughs> is it the Western? Is it, is it the Eastern Front? No, it's the Western Front. No, it's the Western no, the Front. E- yeah. The Eastern Front's the one that cost the Germans the war. <laughs> no, you're no, but wrong it was, uh, war, a, Steve. It's a, it's a very good movie. It's on Netflix Yeah, no, right I know it's the other war, Steve. <laughs> They they won the Eastern Front. Who the Germans? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then because right. because yeah, they they were doing they like they had, they had gotten yeah, far yeah. and then like Trotsky's like well we're we're gonna not fight them and let's see how that goes. So the Germans yeah. were like all right, we'll just then, chase you then. <laughs> and then they, and then they just went all the way to like like modern day like like Belarus. So they're just like all right, <laughs> now are you gonna come to the treaty table? No, wait, well, what the fuck am I talking about? This? You're talking about Nobody World War knows. II. <laughs> Nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about uh, that book, The Myth of the Eastern Front. I think you're about thinking of the, World War II. I am thinking of World War II, but yeah. you're saying that the movie the All Quiet on the Western Front. Front. Yeah, All the Quiet on the Western Front. I know All Quiet on the Western I know it is, you stupid motherfuckers. I, I just... <laughs> I fucking just, I said it as soon as you said it, the first fucking time. I said, I know it's the other war. It finally but there's happened. this book. A, this is it, what got me confused. I it took a hundred episodes. He finally broke. He just finally snapped. You stupid. Oh, god damn it. You're fucking killing me. How good did it feel to say, though? Well, you're not, you know? So, like, that's the problem is that I, I already said it. But this book got me confused oh, here. Oh, god. I've never seen this book before. I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't fucking find it anywhere because it's it was on Amazon, but I yeah can't find an ebook of it. 
So he's working as a film splicer and he works on this movie uh, called Dante's Inferno. Um, and so despite the film being successful, uh, Harry is concerned about the, uh, the threat that the Edison Trust uh, poses to them. Um, so he breaks, uh, he breaks off with uh, uh, Lamel um, and he sends Jack to establish a film exchange in San Francisco. Uh, uh, and while Sam did the same in Los Angeles. The brothers were soon uh, would um, soon be poised to uh, take advantage of the California movie market at that point. Um, on October 14, 1914, uh, uh, Jack Warner married Irma Claire uh, Salomon, the daughter of Sam Salomon and Bertha Franklin Salomon from one of uh, the like the major uh, families of San Francisco's Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Irma would give birth to the couple's only child, Jack M. Warner, on March 27th, 1916. Um, Jack uh, would name the child after himself, which goes completely against Eastern European Jewish custom that children should not be named after living relatives. Um, Weird. And and although his son had a different middle initial, um, he had been called Junior for the the rest of his life. Interesting. Um, In 1917, uh, Jack was sent to Los Angeles to open another film exchange company. Um, their first opportunity to produce a major film came in 1918, uh, when they purchased the film rights, uh, for my four years in Germany, which was a best-selling novel, uh, sort of like condemning, uh, Germany's wartime atrocities. The, uh, the film adaptation, uh, was a commercial and critical success. Um, and they were able to establish yeah, a studio. Germany did some bad things during World War II. <laughs> so that book that came out in 1918, that was about that, right? <laughs> yes, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking assholes. <laughs> 100 episodes, it finally took to break him. <laughs> No, I've definitely snapped before, I think. <laughs> it's the I summer of Steve. So, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, the new studio would have uh, Jack as the co-head of production, along with his older brother, Sam. Um, in this uh, capacity... Now, the, when you say the Warner Brothers, do you do you generally mean Jack and Sam? Well, Jack, Sam, Harry um, are, are the three big ones. Okay. Okay, so there's three of them. Okay. Like yeah, forget about the Warner there, sister Dot. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a. Uh, it, it is very much like a family affair. It, it's yeah. not like a, it's not like a Simpson and Son like tonic situation. Is um, it still say, going on? Uh, no, we'll talk about that. Okay, um, okay. So the the two brothers would secure uh, new scripts and storylines, um, manage film production, and look for ways to reduce production costs. Um. <laughs> Uh, Warner Brothers uh, would follow up their success with My Four Years in Germany with a popular serial title, The Tiger's Claw, in 1919. Um, mm-hmm. that, that year, um, they were less successful in efforts to promote Open Your Eyes, which was a tract about the dangers of venereal disease that, fe- <laughs> that featured uh, Jack's sole screen appearance. <laughs> oh, no. The one time he's on screen is for a fucking goddamn movie about VD. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Tell me he was the guy that had to bend over and get the shot of penicillin. I'm sure it's probably lost. <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of films from this period are lost, too. Like, like, there's a lot of movies where it's, like, the first animated movie ever made, and it's, like, gone. Nobody knows what happened to it. Well, well yeah, because, like, one, the film it was made on is, like, highly flammable. Mm-hmm. And, and two, like, they, they didn't, like, take care of these things. 
like a lot of times too with like like TV production gets talked about that they would just like tape over like important stuff. Like, like when like, I like taped over like my mom's VHS <laughs> of like my brother being born. I taped yeah. over like an episode of Brian all the crewmates. tapes over <laughs> the Young and the Restless with like a fucking dirt derby. No, yeah. bro. I taped over a. Fu- I recorded an episode of Home Improvement over my brother's birth tape. <laughs> <laughs> More power. Yeah, your your brother's like just about to pop, and it just goes right to Tim, the Tool Man Taylor. <laughs> no, actually, it cuts out. Borla say it. I don't think so, Tim. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> no, not I don't think so, Tim. No. Um, so during during the year of 1919, the the studio makes a few profits, and in 1920, uh, the- <laughs> that shit is that's way funnier than we're giving credit. Just Ryan taping over, and that kid's just about to pop, and you just get the oh. <laughs> my middle brother. Or no, you know what'd be even better is right before he popped, the, the camera panned, and it just showed Wilson looking over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck, man! That is amazing. My mom was so mad, bro. It wasn't even funny, but she had the original, like the original camcorder tape, so that she could make a new VHS of it. Oh man! But she was going to murder me for that. One. Oh my god! That's bad. Yeah, that's bad. In 1919, the the Warners they. They earn few profits, and in 1920, they they secure a bank loan to to settle their outstanding debts. Um, shortly afterward, they relocate they they relocate their studio um, from Culver City, California, to Hollywood, where they purchase a lot on the corner of Sunset Boulevard and Bronson Avenue, uh, which is known today as the Sunset Bronson Studios. Uh, the okay. new location um, had upgraded facilities, um, and but it did not uh, uh, significantly improve the studio's image which remain defined by it being uh, their main productions being low budget comedies and racy films on the, on the declining of morality. Um, So since they can't really like show pornography, a lot of what they show are like these movies that are about like, like sort of like reefer madness type movies Mm -hmm. where where it's sort of just like where you can use the excuse of like, well, you know, these are bad people doing bad things, but it's also like, like check out the games on that broad, like that type of deal. <laughs> oh my god. Their their first major success came in 1923 when they discovered a trained German shepherd named Rin Tin Tin. Canine cop. Really? Uh he would first make his debut in Where the North Begins, which is a film about uh, an abandoned uh puppy who was raised by wolves and befriends a fur trapper. Um according to uh, uh one of the uh one of his biographers, uh Jack's initial doubts about the project uh, where, quote, when he met Rin Tin Tin, who he said, quote, unquote, who seemed to display more intelligence than some of the Warner comics. Is there any relation, and this is going to be a really stupid question, but is there any relation between the German shepherd Rin Tin Tin and that animated cartoon Tin Tin? No, like, no, they're, they're unrelated. Okay. Tin Tin's from Belgium. Is Tin, okay, is Tin Tin like a common name? Or does, does it mean something over there that, like, yeah, Steve, I'm not... what's the uh, etymology of Tintin? I think, <laughs> no, I'm saying, like, am I missing something where it's, like, common to call people Tintin? I, I think it's, like, a like pet name. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that. Why did you just say, okay, all right, like, he assaulted you? <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, I'm saying, like, all right, like, it, 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 there's name? no That's connection. 
No, no connection. No connection. I've never heard of the word Tintin before either. I didn't know what Tintin was until I moved to Florida and I found out that my friend I think, like, knew about it. I think Rin Tintin is like like Ricky Ticky Tavi. Like it just sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like okay. it's like racehorse names. It's just bullshit that sounds good. Yeah. Right. Uh um so uh, Rin Tin Tin is a uh, is a is a critical success, um, and it is um, the the studio's most important commercial asset until the introduction of sound to motion pictures. Uh, a screenwriter, Daryl F. Uh, Zanuck, uh, produced several scripts for Rin Tin Tin uh, movies. Uh, during one year, wrote more than half of the studio's features. Between 1928 and 1933. Uh, Zanuck served as uh, Jack's right-hand man and executive producer, um, which gave him a lot of uh, responsibilities over day-to-day production of movies. Um, okay. Despite uh, the success of Rin Tin Tin and other projects, uh, Warner Brothers was unable to compete with the big three studios in Hollywood at that time, which was Paramount, Universal, and First National Studios. In 1925, the studio expands operations and acquired the Brooklyn-based theater company Vitagraph. Later that year, Sam would urge Harry to sign an agreement with Western Electric to develop a series of quote-unquote talking shorts using a newly developed Vitaphone technology. Um, Sam so basically like make he he wants him to make talkies. Basically, yes, he wants to get into like to to start producing talkies. Okay, so he wants to do like YouTube shorts. A hundred years before, he yeah, he wants he wants TikToks. <laughs> you, you know, you can get talkies right down at Walmart, dude. He just he just hears the he just hears he's like it's it's always it, it's it's like Jack. It's always it's always on me. I can always hear it. The clock, the ticking, the talking. It's so telling man, me yeah. something. What do I? What do we do? How do we? How do we succeed? It's in the clock. It's in the he ticks pi- of the talks. He pioneered TikTok. <laughs> Also, a hundred years earlier. This is amazing. The man is a, a visionary. Uh, Genius. But uh, <laughs> Sam would uh, die of pneumonia in 1927, um, which was just before the premiere of the first feature-length talking picture, The Jazz Singer. Um, and Jack would become the sole head of production. Um, Jack, at, at the death of his brother Sam, was, was left um, inconsolable. Um, a, a biographer, Timothy uh, Schatz, wrote, uh, Throughout his life, Jack had been warmed by Sam's sunshiny optimism, his thirst for excitement, his inventive mind, his gambling nature. Sam had also served as a buffer between Jack and his stern eldest brother, Harry. In the years to come, Jack ran the Warner Brothers Burbank studio with an iron hand. Following his brother's death, uh, Jack would become increasingly difficult to deal with and inspired uh, resentment from many Warner Brothers employees. Is I, I don't mean to go back. Is the jazz singer the movie? It's the Al Jolson the, film with the no, black face. Well, I was gonna say, is that the movie that all the brothers missed, like the Oscars or whatever, because Sam died, or is that a different movie that I'm thinking of? I think that's a. I'm There's out. some movie that was winning like a whole bunch of awards at the Oscars, and a whole bunch of like the Warner Brothers didn't show up because they were attending a funeral instead. It wasn't that, I don't think. No, okay. Man, that's some that's some deep trivia right there. I don't know what the fuck it's, you're talking I, about. I, I can't remember what movie it is. It's a very old movie. Because the first the first Academy Award is in 1929. Okay. 
Let me ask you this, though. In this movie, did the Germans win the Eastern Front? <laughs> In blackface. In blackface. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, despite... Despite the grief of Sam's passing, suddenly, uh, the jazz singer is a critical success and establishes Warner Brothers as a major studio. Um, So, uh, Warner Brothers invested only $500,000 in the film. They would reap $3 million in profits. Um, Hollywood's uh, five major studios, which controlled most of the nation's movie theaters, initially attempted to block the growth of uh, talking pictures. Uh, the The five major studios at this time were Paramount Pictures, Warner Brothers, RKO Pictures, Metro, uh, Metro Goldwyn Meyer, and 20th Century Fox. Yeah. Um, but it, and despite the other um, the the other major uh, companies uh, sort of being opposed to talkies, uh, Warner Brothers would produce 12 talkies in 1928. Um, that following year, the the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts and Sciences recognized Warner Brothers for quote unquote revolutionizing the industry with sound. Um, so even though Warner Brothers is doing very well, um, Jack keeps a tight rein on costs. Um, he would, uh, keep, uh, directors on a quota system and he decreed that a flat low key lighting style was to be used that would make the, that, um, to save money that would make the sets look cheaper than they were. That was sort of like a side effect of it. He pioneered capitalism heard. The, the studio itself would uh, would sort of emerge unscathed relatively from the Wall Street uh, crash of 1929, um, and it would uh, produce a broad range of films, including backstage musicals, crusading biopics, swashbucklers, and women's pictures. Um, as uh, Tom Schatz observed, uh, this there, there's, the studio's repertoire was a means of stabilizing marketing and sales, of bringing efficiency and economy into the production of some 50 feature films per year and of distinguishing Warner's collective output from that of his competitors. Um, they became uh, most known, though, for their hard-hitting social dramas um, who uh, Jack tended to support. Um, these would include gangster fil- um, films such as Little Caesar and The Public Enemy, as well as the critically acclaimed I Am Hell a Fugitive yeah, from a Chain enemy. Gang featuring uh, Paul Mooney. Not that Paul Mooney, but I was about to say what. I guess it's I guess it's I guess it's Paul Money, M U N I. Yeah, I guess that would be money. Yeah. Um. So a, a lot of these reflected a um a, a sort of like a surprisingly temporary shift in Jack's political outlook. Um, in 1932, despite being a um, associated with the Republican Party. He openly supported uh, Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt and staged a motion picture and electrical parade sports pageant at the Los Angeles uh, Memorial Coliseum in Roosevelt's honor. Um, and, and during this time as well, um, this would uh, foreshadow an era, uh, quote unquote, in which Warner would recruit the most new, new dealish, often simultaneously the most left wing writers. Okay. Um, during this period as well, Jack took an active role in recruiting talent. Um, so Warner Brothers needed um, star power to compete with their competitors, and he would uh, raid the contract actors from rival studios, um, sometimes even offering them double their salaries to work for Warner Brothers. Wow. Wow. 
Uh, now, is this, that considered like uh, there's no legality there, right? Well, well, there there are ways to like break your contract, which does happen. Uh, Betty Davis famously did that. Yeah. Um, so, the three lead actors he gets from Paramount during this period are William Powell, uh, Kay Francis, and Ruth Chatterton. Um, in 1929, uh, Jack would persuade uh, British stage and screen actor George Arliss to play the title role at a remake of the 1921 United Artists film, uh, Disraeli, um, about the former British prime minister, Benjamin Disraeli. Yeah. Which, (laughs) which would be a uh, box office hit in 1930. He spotted future stars, James Cagney, uh, Joan Blondell and Frank McHugh in the cast of a New York play called Penny Arcade. Um, although, uh, Cagney turned out to be Jack's greatest prize. Uh, he was also the studio executive's biggest professional challenge. Um, they would frequently argue, um, and Cagney would often resort to screaming Yiddish obscenities he learned um, growing up in Yorkville, um, a, a district in New York City. Um, and according to a 1937 Fortune magazine article, uh, Jack's most intense contract disputes involved Cagney, who, quote unquote, who got sick of being typed as a girl hitting Mick out of making five pictures a year instead of four. Okay, two things. A. I take offense to that. B, Penny Arcade was much better in the early 2000s than it is now. It just went way downhill. I want to yeah, say, like, sometime around, like, went. 03, it just yeah. kind of got derivative. You can't be good forever, you know? And they were... <laughs> they, got, they got too rich. They lost there the hunger. A, there was a time... It went from Penny they Arcade lost to, the like, hunger. Nickel Arcade. <laughs> yeah, they went to, like, Dime Arcade now, dude. <laughs> you know? Um, Zanuck, though, would... Uh, Resign from his contract. Like we all we all needed a minute there just to think about how good Penny Arcade <laughs> used to be. Just, just, <laughs> just take it all in, boys. Just breathe in. It's just remember. Back. Just remember, remember. Remember what was good and what can be good again. Remember what they took from you. <laughs> um, Zanuck uh, would resign from his contract um, after a dispute with Harry Warner in 1933. Um, according to a 1933 letter that Jack wrote to Will H. Hayes, uh, then the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America, um, Zanuck requested a higher salary and quote-unquote indicated his desire to raise the salaries of the actors and personnel in the motion pictures we were producing. Um, that year, Zanuck would establish 20th Century Pictures, which would eventually merge with the Fox Film Corporation in 1935, becoming 20th Century Fox. And that is separate from, like... Fox News, right? Like those are totally well, that's, separate entities, well, that's, aren't they? That's News Corp, which bought um, 20th Century Fox and then rolled off Fox News as like a as, as like one of their brands, and uh-huh. then yeah, it's 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 like Succession, <laughs> <laughs> like like literally like like that. That's essentially the the way it worked is that they they essentially acquired. Uh, a movie company and then they eventually became a TV company or I think I think they actually acquired them when they when they were a TV company and then they made the 24-hour news channel after that and the parent company was called News Corp. Interesting. Interesting. Um the uh, longtime producer for the studio uh Hall B. Wallace uh would take over as executive producer. Um Jack um however would not give Wallace the sweeping powers that he had uh, that he had once given Sanook and the result was a uh, sort of like a decentralized um, system of creative and administrative control and often created confusion at the studio. Um, under this new system, each picture was assigned a supervisor who was usually someone taken from the studio screenwriters. 
Um, although they would maintain a high rate of production throughout the 1930s, um, some pictures showed an uneven level of quality that reflected, quote-unquote, not only the difficulty of shifting to a, su a supervisory system, but also the consequences of dispersing authority into creative ranks. So they're basically saying that the movies that they put out in the 30s didn't have a, like, bar, I guess, to clear well, of what you would say, like, standard? Well, like, essentially what happened was that they didn't have anybody whose job it was to be, like, essentially the assistant, like, guy running it, like, the guy who actually does run everything. Like, you didn't have that guy, like, managing everything. Instead, he just gave all that power to, like, a bunch of people that he essentially just promoted who didn't really have experience with it and just ah. delegated responsibility. And that's why the quality was uneven, because a lot of these guys, one, they were, they were not really working with the studio as a whole to, like, maximize things. And they're two, their best. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and two, you don't have that level of control because he's, like, paranoid about giving somebody else that much control. Gotcha. Okay. Um, his first marriage would end in 1935 uh, when he would leave his wife for another woman, Ann Page, uh, with whom he would have a daughter named Barbara. Uh, um, Irma would sue uh, Jack for divorce on the grounds of desertion, um, uh, which is, you know, what you had to do back then uh, for, for divorce. Uh, coming back to Ford soon, probably. Oh, um, so just get used to it. Having <laughs> having PIs, you know, trying to find out, you know, that you cheat on your wife to so you can get a divorce. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so Harry Warner uh, he reflected on his family's feelings about the marriage and he exclaimed uh, thank god our mother didn't live to see this um, Jack married Anne after the divorce um, and the Warners uh, took Irma's side in the affair and they refused to accept Anne as a family member um, and so after this as well um, Jack Sr.'s relationship with his son Jack Jr. would also become strained um so Jack's role in the production of films became somewhat limited. Um, after acquiring a creative property, he would often have little to do with the film's production until it was ready to preview. Um, and, and also, to, despite this, he could still be heavy-handed in his dealings with employees, um, and he was also merciless in how he fired people. Uh, a film director, Gottfried uh, Reinhardt, uh, claimed that Jack, quote-unquote, derived pleasure from humiliating subordinates. That's, I mean, oh, it's so gross, but it kind of tracks what we know about people in, like, upper management, that they're just total sociopaths. Uh, Harry Cohn was a son of a bitch, Reinhardt said, but he did it for business. <laughs> he was he was not a sadist. Uh, uh, Meyer could be a monster, but he was not mean for the sake of meanness. Jack was. Um, so Harry Cohn was the head of, like, Paramount and, and mayor at, I believe, uh, Metro Goldwyn Mayor. Um, so, so he's just saying like these other executives, like, yeah, they could be, they could be bastards, but, but like Jack was actually like a monster. Good Lord. Wow. Um, Jack's that, management that's style. some strong fucking words right there. Uh, Jack's management style was found, uh, frustrating to many of the studio's employees. Um, Jack Benny, who once worked at Warner Brothers quipped, uh, Jack Warner would rather tell a bad joke than make a good movie. Uh, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> He also, uh, Jack also frequently clashed with actors um, and supposedly banned them from dining in the studio's executive dining room with the explanation, I don't need to look at actors when I eat. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, oh, God. When do we get to eat this guy? Uh, so he did have he did have some uh, affection for some of the personalities who worked at Warner Brothers, one of which was the aforementioned Betty Davis. Oh, the uh, one that brings in all the money. Gotcha. Of course. Who was, who was a leading star. 
Um, and, um, and like I mentioned as well, who had once fled to England to be released from a uh, contract. Um, years later, uh, Davis would defend Jack against rumors that there was uh, sexual impropriety. Essentially, Jack Warner was accused of like being like Harvey Weinstein, um, like just sleeping with all of the, the starlets. Um, and she had said, no lecherous boss was he. His sins lay elsewhere. He was the father, the power, the glory, and he was in business to make money. Davis revealed that after the birth of her child, well, it, it's also one of those things too, where she doesn't really have anything to lose during the period where she's saying this. Cause I, I believe this is after Jack Warner died. Right. Um, and, and no, and, but she sounds like one of those assholes who's like, Oh, we got to respect the dead. And we can't speak well, ill of what, the what, dead. What, what, I think she, it's, you just say that to just kind of, well, well no, I, it, Ryan, you have to look at it this way. Like, if you have like an asshole boss and you're the only person the asshole boss likes and like if people are going to shit talk him, but he like made your entire career and like made you a millionaire, you're going to be like, well, you know, he was he wasn't like in, in there. Yeah, essentially, you're not going to shit talk him. No, or, or, and then and then too, like if they're saying like you slept with him, like because that, that's essentially the implication that her career was because she slept with Jack Warner. And she's like, well, no, I never slept with him. And she's saying he was more of like a father figure. Um, which as well, she also said right. that after she that after she gave birth to her child, uh, Jack's attitude toward her became warm and protective. Uh, oh, Jack said, Junior, Jack Warner Junior the third here. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I definitely didn't sleep with Jack Warner. I just, I just naming him after Jack Warner. No, Jack Warner Junior is his figure. Jack Warner Junior. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said Junior the <laughs> third. <laughs> she said we became father and child, no question about it. Um, he told me I didn't have to come back to work until I felt like it. He was a thoughtful man. Not many nice things were said about him. There's no fucking way that this fucking guy's like, no, just come back to work whenever you want, and he is not fucking her. There's no way. There's no way. Uh, Warner also earned the gratitude of uh, Errol Flynn. In 1935, the studio, uh, 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 Jack Warner personally selected uh, Flynn uh, for the title role of Captain Blood. Um, even though at that time he was an unknown actor. Um, and in 1936, following the success of another costume epic, The Charge of the Light Brigade, Jack tore up Flynn's contract and signed him for, to, um, signed him for a long-term deal that doubled his weekly salary. Nice. So, so while he was like, like an asshole, he could be like very giving with certain actors that he liked. Why do you think that was, Steve? Let's break this down. Why do you think he was so giving to Errol Flynn? Because... Not because he, he liked him. Think, think, think because he brought in a lot of really money. Nice there we go. Well, that's what I'm. I'm I, I never said he wasn't. I said because he he liked certain people who did well for him. Yeah, I was. Say, I don't think he liked him for the sake of liking Errol Flynn because Errol Flynn was a cool guy or whatever. Well, Please don't cancel me. I have no idea if Errol Flynn did anything really fucked up. But I, just, he, he didn't had, like him I, for that. He, he was accused he of having. Money. He was accused of having uh, Nazi sympathies. God damn it! Um, but uh, he he was also like pretty messed up. Like I think if I remember correctly, he was like a drug addict that was into like some weird sex stuff. Um, Neither one of those things am I going to judge him for. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think another I think Wait, another what reason, drugs what drugs what drugs probably like thirties drugs you know like laudanum and I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm not judging that guy for that. I'm not judging drugs. it for it. Unless you uh, came out of the pocket like he was on meth hey, in the 30s. Like the Nazis, here, then, no. <laughs> One of those jazz okay cigarettes. Uh, Jesus I, Christ. This is a Tuckman Schnitzer's rye filled with cocaine. These are 30s <laughs> drugs. Yeah, well, how could you be mad at the man for that? Well, I, I imagine, too, because it's probably he also... He gets the, the mulligan, is what I'm saying. 
Well, well, I think part of it is the fact too that like he essentially like made these guys. It's it's yeah. sort of like it, it's almost like like to give an analogy like in wrestling, like like John Cena or The Rock, because like WWE made them and they became like stars. Like Vince McMahon's always going to give them like ridiculous like sweetheart deals when they come back. Oh but, yeah, of course. But but like other guys that they don't like that weren't like that came from elsewhere. Like they just treat them like shit because it's just like well you know you're you're kind of a mercenary. Like I didn't, I didn't make you. Like you're, you're not one of my guys. I'm just paying you, so you you do the job and then don't complain. It's also one of those things. If you're not the name that people are thinking of when they buy the ticket, then you're not going to get paid as much as the person that the fan is thinking of when they buy the ticket. In the as the as the 1930s uh, uh, came to an end, um, both Jack and his brother Harry became increasingly alarmed over the rise of Nazism. Um, uh, uh, Bernard F. Dick uh, observed to the Warners, as sons of Polish Jews who fled their homeland because of anti-Semitic pogroms, uh, they had a great interest in exposing Nazism. Uh, moreover, um, uh, there was an attraction to showing films that were critical of German militarism, and um, and this was something that the Warners had started out their business with, because remember their first film was My Four Years in Germany in 1918. Um, in 1917, uh, while they were still in distribution, the Warners had secured the rights as well for a movie called *The War Brides*, a movie about um, a movie that had featured the actress uh, Ala uh, Nazimova as "quote unquote" a woman who kills herself rather than breed children for an unidentified country whose army looks suspiciously Teutonic. Uh, so wait, went German wait. on him. So basically, she's saying that she committed suicide as opposed to having sex and. Well, what's like, a movie where there's a child? What, well, yeah, there, it's a movie about there. There's this evil army that's invaded. We're not saying who this army is, but it's essentially like Germany with the serial numbers filed off. And this woman's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill myself rather than have sex, rather have sex with these like German barbarians and breed Why their, like, do you childs. always come out of left field with these fucking bangers, man? <laughs> it was Germany with the serial number filed off. It's God's fucking blind spot. <laughs> Dude, you're amazing. <laughs> um, Jack was also shaken by the 1936 murder of a studio salesman named Joe Kaufman, who was beaten to death by Nazi stormtroopers in Berlin. Oh, wow, make me stop laughing real quick. Um, he would describe the incident in the following terms. Like many an outnumbered Jew, he was trapped in an alley. Um, uh, they uh, hit him with fists and clubs and then kicked the life out of him with their boots and left him dying there. Um, so while really? other Just so while other studios while other studios during this time are sort of sidestepping um, talking about the Nazis, um, fearing that they're going to be like that they're going to get criticism at home and abroad, the Warner Brothers produces films that are openly critical of Nazi Germany. In 1939, I, I thought you said he sub, he was sub, like a closet supporter of. No, I said Errol Flynn. Oh. I don't. The Warners are not going to be closet supporters of the Nazis. They're, I know, they're, they're Jews. Jews. Ah, let's not exclude well, Jewish people from being Nazis. Well, well, no, we're not. We're not in the era of like modern, like Jewish far rightness, where they're where they're essentially using anti-Semitic tropes to uh, against like liberal and leftist Jews. Okay. All right. Fair. We we haven't we haven't reached that point in in like Jewish thoughts. This is like before. It's like yeah, before the you, formation of Israel. 
But don't you also back then still have like Jewish sympathizers that were ready to turn in their neighbors for being Jewish? Even no, themselves are Jewish. No, because that's not how it worked. That that's not how that's not how it worked because the, the it was so the the system out was it, it's essentially what the state of Florida is doing now with like trans people where it was just sort of like you they just gradually over time implemented these laws that affected all Jews it wasn't like they just suddenly came one day and and like just took all the Jews it was a, it was right. a series of laws that they slowly introduced over the 30s that drop that robbed Jews of their ability to be in certain industries to perform in certain businesses um, to do certain transactions there's also a period briefly where where Jews had to like uh, put like a quote unquote Jewish name within their name like so if you were Jewish and you were a man you would have to put like Israel as like your middle name and signing a document and like Jewish women would have what to put like this? Sarah in the Game middle Game of Thrones <laughs> <laughs> like, gonna, you have to put Israel in your mouth. Yeah, that is insanely fucked up, and it's also more fucked up that it is taken until the year of our Lord 2023 for me to hear that for the very first time. And I know, like, more than the average dipshit knows about World War II. Like, I'm actually pretty well versed in it, but knowing, I never knew that they actually had to sign documents also in their signature, adding a name or adding a word that identifies them as a Jew yeah, they, in their signature. That is so profoundly fucked up. Like, because they're it was essentially that eventually they, they get forced, like, because they can't work certain jobs. And, right. and even if you're a Jew and married, like, if, even if you're not a practicing Jew or, or you never were a practicing Jew, but you're ethnically, like, Jewish. Yeah, and and it, it was ethnically, right? Well, well, not, I'm, I'm using the term. It, they would they would not refer to it as ethnically. Just, just like during that time, like, racism doesn't exist because the concept doesn't have a term for it. Uh, right. The closest thing would be the term racialist. Right. Um, because everybody back then is racist. But, but if you but were an ethnic Jew, you were definitely done it, for and, in their eyes. And well, well, essentially what it says is they don't say, like, ethnic Jew. It's that if you, it goes through your lineage, lineage as a, like, going back, if there were any Jewish people in your lineage, that made you, like, tainted. Like, like they had, like, charts where it'd say, like, oh, like, if you if you have, like, a Jewish great-grandfather, you're, you're this level of, like, tainted. Um, and it, it was almost like in the United States, Jesus. and it's also sort of based off American racial laws of like the one drop rule that that yeah. if even if you're like even if you're like a quarter black and you look white, like if they find out your if they find out like your great grandfather was black or whatever, you're black and yeah, you're you're, you're barred now. you're barred you're barred from like everything that white people can do. Like well, the Germ see. the Germans essentially borrowed that from the United States. I was um, say unless I'm mistaken, Hitler really kind of took a fondness to the United States Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow laws, the the reservation system, all that. Um, but but essentially, what happens is that early on, when the Nazis come to power, um, there are um, sort of uh, right wing uh, Jews in Germany um, who do offer um, some sort of support, falsely believing that you know, like, oh, well, we're the good ones or whatever. Like like all this, all the anti Semitic talk. That's not like that's not what the party's all about. It's about getting getting Germany back on the track or whatever. Let's see where this goes. And then they very quickly find out that, like, that's that's exactly where it's going. Um, you know, my, the leopards my, won't eat my face. Well, I'm the good one. Well, well the general <laughs> assumption that people have is that people have the assumption that a politician is not going to try to do the things they promise to do when they go into office. They're just going to make these claims. They're going to say these things. But when they get in, you know, they're just going to be business as usual. And that has never been true in the history of the world. <laughs> every every pol- <laughs> every politician has tried to do the things they, they say they're going to do when you put them into office. Every single time. Yeah, they have mixed results, but they do try yeah. to do them. 
Yeah, they, 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 they obviously like, like Trump, like he didn't accomplish a lot of the things that he wanted to do, but it's not that he never, he never tried to do it. It's that he just failed at doing it because he's an idiot. Um, so, <laughs> so, so that's, that, that's sort of how these things, things go. Um, so in 1939, uh, they publish a, um, a movie called The Confessions of a Nazi Spy, starring Edward G. Robinson. The project, uh, which was uh, recommended to them um, by uh, director uh, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, drew on the real-life experiences of an agent, Leon G. Tarot, uh, who had worked as an undercover agent. Um, despite uh, them not being able legally to use actual names due to legal ramifications, the studio um, aimed for, quote-unquote, an aura of authenticity, um, and Wallace initially recommended eliminating, eliminating credits from the film to give the film, quote-unquote, the appearance of a newsreel. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so Confessions of a Nazi Spy was, was widely criticized. Uh, the critic uh, Per Lorenz wrote, The Warner Brothers have declared war on Germany with this one. Um, the German ambassador responded by issuing a protest to Secretary of State Cordell Hull, um, and uh, Adolf Hitler, who had watched the film at Burkittsgarten, um, or Burkittsgarten, ha- uh, was outraged by the film. Um, meanwhile, the uh, the studio had received stern warnings from U.S. Congressman uh, Martin Dies Jr. about "quote unquote" defaming a friendly country. I just want to point out that uh, Mr. Dies Jr. was a Texas Democrat. <laughs> These fucking Democrats aligning with Nazi Germany is just unreasonable and out of control. We need well, to bring this you in. know, it was before the uh, the Southern strategy and the whole changing of the party, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, initially, yes, it was definitely before Nixon. <laughs> um, and, Nixon and the Dixiecrats. He, he was on the eastern side of the White House, right, in World War Three. <laughs> I'm going to choke you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, initially, uh, the studio would bow to pressure from the Roosevelt administration, um, the Hayes office, um, and other um, isolationist uh, lawmakers um, to, to do like similar projects. Um, Jack had announced that the studio would release, quote-unquote, no more propaganda pictures and probably ordered the shelving of several projects with an anti-Nazi theme. Um, eventually, though, uh, Warner Brothers produced more films with anti-Nazi messages, including Underground and All Through the Night. In 1940, the studio produced short films that dramatically documented the devastation wrought by the German bombing raids on London. Um, meanwhile, um, the, the studio would also celebrate the exploits of the Royal Canadian Air Force with films such as Captains of the Clouds. In 1941, uh, Warner also produced the influential war film Sergeant York, uh, which is a movie about the World War I uh, Medal of Honor winner Sergeant York. Um... Hang on. <laughs> the only influential war film based on a soldier is Major Pain. <laughs> <laughs> and I will not hear any argument Major and I will not broker Pain, any discussion dude. on the topic. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> that is a seminal film from the 90s. And if you haven't seen Major Pain, God, you're missing out. <laughs> Cinematic, <laughs> a cinematic tour de force <laughs> that both you ever heard a edu- story of a little engine that could <laughs> that both amuses and educates one and leaves one longing for more <laughs> what the fuck dude <laughs> seriously 
Just start just start talking like James Lipton. Yeah. Have a have a giant stack of uh of cards to read from. Um there were reports that Jack had banned the use of the German language throughout the company's studios, um, but these were denied by studio representatives um, who who indicated that if they had done this, it would prevent uh, scores of studio employees from communicating with each other. Because mm. uh, remember, during this time period, you have a lot of like um, German film people who are coming over in the 30s and 40s um, because they're not really you know down with the Nazis, people right. like Billy Wilder and stuff. Um, so they come over here and work here. Right. Um, so we'll stop off there um, right before uh, World War II, and we will pick up uh, Warner Brothers during the war and then after, um, up to the death of Jack Warner himself. Was Jack Warner alive when they locked Yakko, Wacko, and Dot in the Warner Brothers Tower? Well, yes, that happened in 1962, and he died <laughs> in 1978, so yes, he was there. That son of a bitch was alive to see it. God damn it! Now I have another public restaurant. I'm told he laughed. <laughs> I'm told it was man. like I'm told it was like Travis Scott when all those people got crushed. He just watched and laughed. <laughs> he just watched and laughed. <laughs> Jesus uh, just making the sign of Dagon as people. Die. Yeah. <laughs> just sitting there laughing hysterically, sipping a, like a little two fingers of scotch. <laughs> Jeez. Get him All in right, there, and, boys. And, and with that, <laughs> see you next time. With that, I'm going to watch Always Sunny Season 7, Episode 5, Frank's Brother? Yep. Is yep. about with, yep, with Sh- it. Sh- yep. Sh- 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 Dynasty? So yeah. I'm going to figure out what this word is. I want to see if you, you, won't if tell you me. figure out which word it is and you post it in the Discord, I will definitely like <laughs> the post that was right. <laughs> if not, I'll just tell you. Word. Awesome. Later. Later. Good night.